Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. and Welcome back to the program. We are live from New York City, and you are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate. At this hour, the downsizing of New York's real estate market has been much documented in the past year. Prices falling, concessions are up. And listings are staying on the market for longer than ever. And that's not even taking into account the ongoing affordable housing and homeless crisis here in the city. But according to a new study from a real estate consulting firm, there's one particular area where things are still hopping. What is called, what is being called rather, the ultra prime uh, real estate market or properties uh, selling for $25 million or less. We're back. Let's get at it. But first, I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. You are listening to the Voice America Talk Radio Network. I am Vince Rocker, your host. And my special guest this morning is Kent Swig. He is truly noteworthy uh, in the United States uh, real estate industry, a graduate of Brown University with a degree in Chinese history and Hastings College of Law, where he was selected for the law review. Kent has held various career positions, including the Swig Company and Maclow Companies. Today, he serves as president of Swig Equities an investment firm focusing uh, on commercial and residential real estate in New York and California. He is also the co-owner and co-chairman of Terra Holdings, which owns leading residential real estate firms and brokerage houses, uh, Brown Harris Stevens and Halstead Real Estate, in and around the New York metropolitan regions, as well as the brokerage appraisal and consulting firm Vanderbilt Holdings. He is also owner and president of Helmsley Spear, which was founded in 1866 and owned by the legendary Harry Helmsley since the late 1930s. Kent resides in Manhattan with his two sons. Wow, you are a busy man. Good morning. Oh, it seems. Good morning to you. Uh, how do you do all that stuff? I mean, well, what's priority in a day? What what comes first out of all these companies and whatever? Uh, I would say probably family first, and and um, and then business certainly second. But and, uh, and, when and, you're when you're juggling everything and and you don't have enough time for everything, then you know that the balance is about right. Uh, I well well said. <laughs> I would I would agree with that. All right, let's go right at it. So there has been so much press about the market the past two years that no one really understands. I mean, we as agents here and, and been in this business, you know, for many years each, we don't really understand what is happening. The clients out there don't understand what is happening. In your opinion, what is the state of the marketplace right now? And what do you think was the reason, the impetus for the slowdown or the whatever happened over the last 18 months to two years? From well, what you see? From, from my perspective, um, there is a slowdown, certainly, and it's, um, I, I think, a result of two things. Um, I'll tell you what it's not a result of. Uh, one, I don't think it's a result of supply. Um, and I, I would suggest that, that supply and demand is one of the which drives most businesses. I would say supply does not really come in as a factor in the residential marketplace in New York City, mostly because there really is such a limited supply. I mean, you're looking at 8.6 million people in New York. We have a total of 140,000 condominiums in all five boroughs combined, 90,000 of which are in Manhattan. And then there's 374,000 co-ops throughout the five boroughs, and then another 635,000 one to three family homes. So it's such a small amount of product that you really can't add enough product to impact price. Um, so what, what's driving it now is that we've hit an, we've been on a nine-year tear going up of of um, of price increases and like anything you can't set a record every day mm. so we've hit a point on two levels one on the lower end of the market but not lower end but the the, the moderate to, to real end of the marketplace if you will where where people have just said we've hit a point in and where prices are just too high and I'm not willing to pay that much for this product so that's a natural give and take and that's where people have withdrawn from the marketplace and and are evaluating what's going on Second thing that's happened is that the top part, the ultra, ultra luxury part of the marketplace, which is a razor thin marketplace at best, has been slightly saturated with more product than, than could reasonably be absorbed for a marketplace that's so thin. So out of 14,000 transactions roughly in New York, in Manhattan every year, there are, last year there were 212 transactions over 12, uh, $10 million dollars. And over 20 million, there were just 53. But if you look at the 57th Street corridor, river to river, a couple blocks north and a couple blocks south, you have almost 700 units that are either on the market, left over from 
being new buildings or coming on the market, all of which are $20 million or more. So it's it's we, a We've long been reporting process. here at Good Morning New York the past couple of weeks uh, from stories that we read that there's about $47 billion in inventory, new inventory uh, out there for sale. What I mean, how, in your opinion, how do we absorb that over time? And, and in, I mean, what timeline can we absorb that? Actually, I take that back. I think it's $47 billion, but everything that's for sale on the market, not just new development stuff. So that's a lot of inventory, as well, you indicated. It is. I mean, the inventory is built. Uh, rather than look at dollars, I'd look at the transaction volume, <clears> right? So um, the dollars are important, but th- those are asking prices on a lot of that stuff, right. and that's the issue. Right. So, uh, you know, we, we're we in a, a point now where people, it's just pricing. It, and and the, the, we've got about seven months of inventory, roughly, for the whole city. We were at five months last year, a, little, a year a little bit before. Typically, New York is at five to eight months. So the inventory is not built up beyond a normalcy, but it we had a dearth of inventory for so long that we're now getting a little bit more simply because buyers are retreating. So in your opinion, you know, w- with the current marketplace, I mean, do you, you, you think it's a good time to, to invest for people to buy just, you know, primary places or for investors to buy invest- investor places? And we're going to get a little more into this later, but you as a, as a developer, is this an opportunity right now to purchase property, to purchase land, to start building and to get ready for whatever that next phase is going to be? You see it as opportunity. I see 2019 going into a little bit of 2020 as an opportunity, yes, certainly. Okay, so currently right now we're still in that that period of we're going to wait a little bit and see what's two, happening. Two more weeks. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay. I want that. That's perfect. What parts, on the heels of that, what parts of New York City do you think are ripe right now for new developments? I mean, we started... You know, there was a time when Midtown West, you know, sort of was booming. And then there was Midtown uh, East. And then it was, you know, Uptown. Downtown's been on fire for a long time, although kind of cooling off a little bit because prices have been so high. You know, what what areas of the city right now do you think are ripe for continued development or for additional development? Well, I would say this. It depends. The areas are... All areas are are good in New York City. We went through the reason we even had bad, bad areas is because in the in the 1970s we had lost uh, 768,000 jobs when the 70s hit, and and our former our president Ford then told us to drop dead, and we were almost in bankruptcy. Um, and that 768. I didn't realize that number was so high. It was huge. And wow. that, that translated into 1.1 million people leaving New York in the mid 70s. Wow. Right? So that was almost larger than any other city's population. It took us till 2003 to gain it back. So now we don't have areas that are, are necessarily off limits or a problem. What we have is a price point. So when, when you ask what investment area would I go, I'd be looking at anything less than uh, 2,500 a foot to sell. And bear in mind that if you said 2,500 a foot in the 1990s, early 90s, people thought what? that you were, were you know smoking something. Um, so Correct. look, if you look at where we've gone and what uh, what's considered a moderate price, it's it's extraordinary what goes. But is that price achievable today, twenty five hundred a foot or less? I mean, can 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 you guys can developers actually deliver that? Yes, you can. But problem was land had been trading right. at a well, very astronomical price, right. and and the thought process was for most of the developers that if you build bigger, better, faster better view all these things that you could sell for virtually any price. Correct. That's just not so. There is a threshold at which people at any level are just saying no. Was there concern at any point, Kent, that, you know, developers were thinking, I think we're starting, even when we were still booming and things were still good, I, I think we're getting a little too much. I think we're building a little, overbuilding a little too much. Was there any thought there that a slowdown or, or, or an abundance of inventory could potentially happen? I mean, because I was going through it all as everybody else here and selling everything we can sell, grabbing onto this development or that development. I necessarily wasn't thinking, you know, that uh, probably because I don't want to think that, that we may hit a slowdown at some point. Well, I so from a developer this, perspective, I would tell you that the slowdown existed all the time for this type of the marketplace. There, there's there's 2,500 billionaires in the world. So how many of them want to right. have an apartment in New York and then actually are going to pay for it? So it's a thin marketplace. And when you start getting into pricing of 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 million dollars, your your audience is very, very thin. And so I think what 
what people didn't do is look at the demographics of who their audience is. Uh And and so that market was always razor thin. Bear in mind, prior to 1996, New York City in its history only had fewer than 10 apartments that sold over $10 million. Correct. So this is a recent phenomena of these super high inflated prices. So if I built a 90-story building on Park and 57th Street with no bathrooms, right, the marketplace wouldn't buy my apartments, and the newspapers would write and say, Kent is a schmuck because he didn't put bathrooms in there. So they would, <laughs> Who needs a bathroom? Right, but they would factor that out of the marketplace because it doesn't fit the market. Yeah. Well, the, but these people all built great bathrooms and phenomenal views. But they, it's as if they didn't have bathrooms in some cases because they're building for, for a market that barely exists. So that, that marketplace is, is what's you know, pushing down on us right now in, in a fairly artificial way because we artificially built thinking that there's an unlimited supply of buyers. So th- that's, that's what's going on, in my but, opinion. Before we go to break, and we'll be back with much more, but your, your, your opinion on $100 million penthouses in wherever they, they may reside Hundred million dollars. Yes, there are twenty five hundred or so billionaires in the world, but wow, that that's a chunk of change. Yeah, it, look, it's we make a nice living on for all of us on that. But if I were to look at this in a completely um, objective point of view, to buy a box in the air for a hundred million dollars when you could buy a buildings in some cases, you know, you could buy one yeah. of our buildings I own with one hundred seventy five thousand feet for. You know, close to a price, and you know whether it's two hundred million, hundred million, whatever. But you could, you could much more, much more real estate right. for that. So, right. the, so yeah. I think our values have gotten a little skewed on that level of the market. It's like my brother reminds me all the time for the prices you guys sell in New York. You could buy a farm or half a state somewhere in this country, right. and you probably can. But you could still buy it in New York City with a different way of doing it. But. Absolutely. All right. We'll get much more with Kent uh, on the other side of the break. We have to leave it there. Uh, This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back right after these messages, so don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back with Kent Swig from Swig Equities. And so, Kent, on the heels of our prior discussion, so uh, with the market being as such, or you thinking that probably 19 into 20, we get a little you know, more robust, are you looking to play aggressively in this market or in the markets coming up for um, you know, the right price, the right place, the right neighborhood, the right building? I mean, what, what do you, when you look at this today, what do you think about as far as your business is concerned and where you want to be next and what you want to do next and what you want to develop next. What, what's, what, what goes through your head on this stuff? 
Well, I think the opportunity is twofold. One is new development, I think, is still needed because we still have a, mm -hmm. a, a lack of supply um, of product, but it has to be within a price range that people are willing to pay right. and can afford to pay. So, again, if you can deliver product at a sales price of 2500 or less, I think Sign you have a up. shot Sign us all to up. go do things. So, that's that's probably not Fifth Avenue, Park Avenue, 57th Street, right. corridor-type pr uh, places. Um, so yes, um, we're looking you know, at Jersey City. Uh, we're looking at some places uh, in Brooklyn, Manhattan. Um, you know, I, things do sell and people do live if they if it's affordable and it's well thought out and and well. What are your thoughts product. on the South Bronx? Uh, I think it's a good place to be there. I think some of the pricing of land has has escalated to a point where it's a little bit unreachable already. But but um, yeah, be, yeah, look. It, it's still unreachable, but it's at a very inexpensive level, but you still have to be within a realm in there. I, and the things we're looking at there are rentals. Um, and you've Correct. got great transportation over there. You've got hospitals over there. Yeah, yeah. And it was the, the, the place to be, you know, many, many, many decades ago. So it's a resurgence of an area that's there. That whole Grand um, Concourse area absolutely. and that whole neighbor. Yeah, it was, it was certainly the place in my grandparents' days. That was certainly the place to be. 57th Street, Billionaire's Row. Okay, we all know Billionaire's Row. Everybody's played in that that environment. We've all sold or rented or whatever there. You know, is it overdone? Or so, is there still room for much more? Well, there's room for more development, but not at the price levels that we're looking at. Again, well, so right. it's... You know, so it when can't people really be are buying, a, you know, there's a $200 million apartment that'll close at 220 Central Park, uh, Park South, yeah. which is going to re-energize the upper end of the marketplace thinking, wow, if somebody else could get that, maybe I could get that kind of pricing. But the, those are very few and far between. So if it's at that level, I think the answer is clearly not. Um, you know, when you mentioned 57th Street, it's interesting, Billionaire's Row. The unintended consequence, if you look at our, our map of New York now, is you look at 58th Street. 58th Street is now a loading dock area for uh, Central Park South and 57th yeah. Street. And you've right. got this quarter, which was a wonderful quarter. All the loading docks on all these projects are now there. So you go down 58th Street, and it, it's really it's a service center for the two you know two uh, markets on 57th and 59th. That's where Vince Rocker was yelling at the cab driver. Why did you take that route? You, you crazy? It's, <laughs> you can't move. It's, 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 it's insane, right? Of course. That's R train and Q train and entry. That's what you're looking for. There you go. <laughs> that's right. Uh, tax reform. What is your thoughts on tax reform as it has hit? Uh, it's going to be a year, I guess, in January. Uh, wh what do you think it's done to the marketplace? Significant hits? Um, well, I, still yet to be determined. I, I'm, and also, how does it affect your business? Okay, the tax. First of all, the the amount of money that was given back, mostly to corporations, right, from thirty five percent to twenty percent. The the there was so much money in there that basically they bought back stock, all the corporations. So that did not help the economy or do anything except right. enrich the corporations that bought their stock back. Right. They handed out bonuses, which are a one-time thing, quickly, you know, at the at the uh, end of 2017 to make things look good. And then you flooded you flooded the marketplace with money when we didn't need it. We we had a 90-month expansion, which is the longest-running expansion in American history. What we didn't need is to add fuel to the fire. What we needed to do is to continue it on a slow burner to keep going, as opposed to increase that. So. And the other thing is that we gave we gave the, the into individuals we you know you gave them a, a little ticking time bomb for four years they get a, a tax break and then it, it burns off where the corporations are all all there so what in my opinion they should have done is that the tax breaks were were given they should have been you they shouldn't have been available if you just buy back stock they, they should have been hooked and linked to investment R and D the money that came back overseas should have come in and said, yes, you can bring it back on a tax-free basis overseas or, 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 or reduce tax, but here's what you have to do with it. But merely just handing corporations money to buy back, I don't think it was is, it was personally necessary the way that way it was done. Correct. Uh, I mean, and, and, and for the real estate market in New York, probably- We could talk about that for a long time. A little yeah. bit of a detriment. Yeah, that, that's a whole show. That's a whole chapter. That's a whole lot of thing. In an article earlier this year, you said that the residential marketplace is a numbers game. You continued by saying, quote, we are at a point where 55% of after-tax dollars are spent on rent and not being able to go out and enjoy the city becomes a problem for people who are just kind of house poor. They're paying their rent. They don't really have much of a, a left to do anything else. Uh, this New York City, as you, you quoted some uh, statistics earlier with I th – 340-something thousand co-ops and, and the rest condos, it's still predominantly a rental marketplace, yes. right? We're two-thirds rental. 60, yeah, 62%. Right. 
So are people staying here, living kind of house poor, in your opinion, or are people fleeing the city because they really can't afford to have a lifestyle here in New York City? Our, our net population is increasing, not decreasing. So we're at about 8.6 million people now. We're on our way up to 9 million people. But it, it's it's a problem. Um, there's Yes, it rents have hit a point where it you know there's a lifestyle at some point it's not worth living here if you can't do anything so we're 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 pushing that envelope i think now so we need to have more affordable housing there's that's a clear issue and and i'm i'm a believe, believer of incentives to people as opposed to punishment you know you have children if you punish them they don't do as well you incentivize them they do it's the same thing with with all other people in business so there're ways to incentivize people to get new development going within affordable housing areas. Yeah, well, on the heels of that, the city is on its way to fulfilling Mayor de Blasio's plan to create or preserve 300,000 affordable housing units by 2026. I mean, it's almost around the corner, really. According to a recent New York City Buildings uh, report, the five boroughs added 34,482 new affordable housing units between January of 14 and uh, July of 15. 29% of the 120,000 new units de Blasio uh, promise to build. Is he? How's he doing with that? I mean, is he going to hit his targets? I mean, what is your opinion on? I mean, it's it's necessary based on your comments a minute ago. But you know, where is he with this? Um, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to hit his targets or not. I, I think the way to go about anything um, when you're trying to make uh, a an adjustment in in the way people do business is to number one have a program that's consistent. It, it is transparent and it doesn't go back and punish people for being in a place when you decided to change, you know, change the, the rules of the game. Right. So I think the way it's gone about being produced is, is could have been better. Um, so, you know, if you look at one of the areas, you look at Queens Boulevard, it has the widest boulevard in New York City. It's got great transportation. I think it's three to one FAR there. Um, so you can build three times your land land mass. That would be an area, if if I was doing this, that I would rezone that entire area upwards and say if to people that if you want to take advantage of the rezoning, right, which is a gift, you have to build 30, 40, 50 percent, whatever it is, affordable housing. Yeah. So you're incentivizing people um, and you're handing them opportunity to build bigger, um, but at the same time, they have to do do it in a certain way. So there's no punishment involved. If you want to take advantage of greater greater density, then you have to add in a certain type of of housing that we desperately need. So there's 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 yes, the values would be less of the FAR because you got affordable housing, but it doesn't matter. You're giving them people a benefit in there. So I, I would be going about looking at places where you could generate and stimulate the marketplace so people would want to be building this instead of you know fighting your way through and and unfortunately like they did on a deal Sixth by Avenue. Deal. Uh, correct. So, so I'm just always curious to see how, you know, that plan gets fulfilled. If it gets fulfilled, there's always a lot of back and forth, you know, with affordable housing is needed. It's not needed. And there's so many different opinions about it. Obviously it is very much needed, but I'm not so sure he's going to be able to hit his targets either. In Manhattan's crowded luxury market, it takes a lot to reach the top and even more to stay there. A recent analysis found, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the show, a recent analysis found that historic buildings Historic buildings, older buildings, pre-war buildings tend to retain the ultra-luxury status longer than new development products, projects. And I'm curious to get your opinion on that because, as you know, as a developer and as we know as agents, there are people who want brand new. There are people who want to live in some th- something for the first time. And then there are the people who want more of the historic or more of the New York feel, more of the old world type of building. And according to this recent study, it shows that the older buildings tend to hold their value Park Avenue, Fifth Avenue, you know, certain buildings on those boulevards, maybe Central Park West. What is your opinion on that? Because obviously you are a developer and we have a lot of brand new structures in this town that everybody wants. But as everybody says, you buy it, you close, you move in. And two years later, you're old because there's the next new glitzy building right around the corner. I think you answered the question perfectly, which is (laughs) right. A brand new building in three, four, five, whatever years it is, becomes an older building without any of the historic nature. So yeah. it, it can't maintain being the newest, best. And if people are looking for the newest and best, then you're not going to be there. Um, I, I happen to like older buildings, but most of my commercial portfolio that uh, from in lower Manhattan have been older buildings and renovating. Um, there's, and there's, there's something about them, right? There's, they're, they're, they're beautifully charm. done. There's charm. There's elegance in that. And, and 
they're they're not compared to be to a newer building because they're not. So the newer buildings can only compare to newer buildings, which then become a little bit dated when it's something newer and better comes along. Um, location, I think, is a critical area. Yes. You know, and so that the the newer buildings that are still in well located areas are still going to be desired. Very very true. It it amazes me as a long time New Yorker. Oftentimes, I'm zipping up and down either Park Avenue or Fifth Avenue in a taxi cab or an Uber car, whatever, and I see, because I just love those buildings, those old old world brick, um, uh, pre-war buildings, and then you see a white brick building stuck in the middle, you know, from the 50s and 60s, and I just cringe. I, I can't even believe that whomever was approving these things back in those days would allow a building like that to be on Park Avenue. I mean, or, it's You know, maybe 50 insane. years from now, somebody looks and sees a glass tower and says, I can't believe they used to... Well, that's see, true. The, the white brick buildings at the point at that time were considered the greatest, newest, the newest. Right. Now we look at them as just aged and not so attractive. But at the time it was, and it, supposedly, which they you know woefully miscalculated, it was it would it would prevent it would last longer. You'd need to do a lot less pointing and siding. It was just the opposite because they glazed over the brick. The brick couldn't breathe. Hundred percent. They, you know, they popped the spalding. It's, it's stainless steel windows that rust anyway. Uh, we have a few minutes left in this segment before we go to break. Thoughts on the uh, the Amazon invasion in Long Island City? A plus for us? A minus for us? Is it going to invade the rest of? You I, know, I wouldn't Manhattan. call it an invasion. So, that's, <laughs> you know, first of all, I agree. I will see there, Vince. I, look, right. New York City is New York City. Yeah. So, we, New York City has grown and survived on business coming into New York, and it is a benefit to do that. Period. Yeah. Um, the jobs that are created, hopefully, would will you know be both in the upper end, mid part, but also the lower end of the marketplace, which it will. When you bring that many people in, you're still going to need service people and help. So I think it's good. The one fallacy I think that was going on is everybody said, look at the tax benefits that Amazon got. Right. So if you added up the, the, the real estate taxes that they're not going to pay versus what we're getting today, it's a fallacy. Five of the six sites are city or government-owned land on which no real estate taxes are being paid now. So you're not trading away. So, it, it, And what's going to happen in five, six years? The same city agencies and, and governmental agencies would be owning the sites without any employment and not paying any real estate taxes. So what did they give away? Nothing. They gave away the potential to go get real estate taxes, which aren't being collected now, but will be at some point in time. So yes, the numbers add up on a, on a break, but we're not getting them now. So we didn't give anything that much away. We got a lot and we got momentum and, and that's what New York City's done. And one of the things our goal was, New York City is to get away from you know all the uh, the the, fi- the uh, fire, if you will. You know the uh, the 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 um, financial sector marketplace here. Now we're turning into more technology oriented place. That's a good thing because we're diversifying our economy. I mean, so I'm I think it's a very positive. All right, it's all about the PR sometimes uh, before other stuff happens. Anyway, thanks uh, to Ken Swig. Hopefully he's going to stick with us for the rest of the show from Swig Equities. We are live from Blastoff Productions here in New York City. Uh, this is Good Morning New York. We will be right back after the next break. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back, and Ken Swick is going to stay with us. Louise Phillips Forbes from Halstead is here. Anna Shagalov from Halstead. Matthew Cohen from CORE. Tracy Hammersley from Douglas Elliman. John Harrison from CORE. Sean McPeak from Her- uh, Halstead. 
uh, and Niall Lundgren from Compass. Boy, that is a mouthful this morning. Good morning uh-huh. to every one of you. How morning. are you? Good morning, Vince. Good morning. Morning, morning sunshine. Last Last show of the year. Can't believe it. So fast. You've made us be quiet for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) The man is in the house. I mean, Uh, we have priorities. Listen. Uh, Anyway, so uh, let's get right to it. So mortgage interest rates, as reported by Freddie Mac, have increased uh, by close to a quarter of a percent over the last several weeks. Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, the Mortgage Bankers Association, and the National Association of Realtors are all calling for mortgage rates to rise another quarter of a percent by next year. Not so sure that's going to happen. In addition to the predictions from the four major reporting agencies mentioned above, uh, the Federal Open Market Committee recently voted unanimously to approve a quarter percent uh, point increase um, uh, in the primary credit rate to 2.75%. Where are we with interest rates right now, and how are our clients and customers reacting to Yet again, maybe another increase. I, I think that you're going to find this a call to action for most of our market, uh, for a lot of our market. And I also think if we remember the last 40 years, our interest rates on an average are 9.4 percent. So 9.4%. the millennial generation has no idea about sort of what that was. <laughs> those buyers that we've all been experiencing. I remember 17 percent. I think it's I opportunistic. Can, I can, yeah. for the, my first for rate was nine percent. <laughs> the first day. Well, as millennia, though, I think that intellectual millennials do know the history. Like they do know that you know they they do. Is that a subcategory? Is not is is still very rare. You know they do know that things are going to go up again. Um, My buyers are really excited because the banks are reacting well to what the government's been doing for the last year. You know, banks are giving a lot of incentives, especially to first-time home buyers. So that makes buyers more excited. And to Ken's point, you know, just uh, developers and sellers becoming more realistic between that and the incentives of the banks, buyers are more excited about what they're Look, doing. there's no refinance business, so they've got to be creative, yeah, and there's going to be no loyalty because none, people, right. it's like, oh, let me call my banker. It's like, well, hold on, let me just see if they're going to be checking out well, what their best Well, rates did drop is. last week. Uh, on the yeah, they're a little bit they lower. They did drop. Yeah, exactly. I got emails from every single mortgage broker on, you know, Same here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think one of the is to be celebrated. And I don't know, I have to ask you guys, I've actually not heard any objections from any of my buyers. No one is feeling like, I think it, because it has been a fairly moderate, moderated gradual uptick. It's not such a shock to the system that it went from 2.65 to 4.5. And and at the end of the day, and at the end of the day, it's still historically very low. Exactly. People are just back to that. I think one of the driving questions that we ask ourselves when we're doing anything is why am I doing what I'm doing? And a lot of people, I think, make it within the psychology of because I want to feel like I'm winning somehow. And if we frame things in, oh, no, I lost. The interest rate went up slightly. Am I screwed if I buy now? If you get out of that and compare it to the context of where things were, like my the first interest rate I ever spent on a home is 85 to 9%. But if we pull back to to the context of things, we realize, oh, it's still a really good time, um, you know, given where the interest rates have secure, been. I think, especially with new development, you can secure a steep discount up to 10% on, I'm finding from a lot of developers oh. right now I'm speaking to, they're saying, just come in at least 10, 10%. They're saying to come in that low. I, I, I think I said you can do that with this interest rate. I, I feel like you're going to win. I don't think the prices are going to go much lower than that on the purchase side. Well, again, I was just going to say, I don't hear too much pushback on the interest Peeps. rates. I hear more pushback on, I'm afraid I'm overpaying in this marketplace. I don't want to overpay in this marketplace. What do I do to not overpay? I, think, I don't really hear much yeah, about it. It's a similar I, I psychology. About the rates. I, I will I really say don't. to you, my, my experience has been really tailoring that advice by that individual situation. Yeah, if you've, right. got a, you've got 10 years of equity in your piece of property and you want to buy an upgrade Lock, leave the fifty thousand on the table, quote unquote, and lock and for the next ten years, and it'll pay itself come back, back yeah, right. tenfold. I, I, equal, I have a client who just got a three point two percent seven year arm, and he said, "Is that a good one?" I said, Take "Unbelievable!" <laughs> yeah. Sign that today, not even tomorrow. <laughs> seven the, years the goes by really fast. That, though. First of all, it's a level playing field for everybody. So yeah. you're either going right. to use debt or you're not going to use debt, and there's a cost of it. So it's not like you can say, "Okay, I'm going to wait and not buy the apartment that I need." Yep. So it, yes, it can slow and retract the market slightly, but it's the same for everybody, and and it's not like 
the next day, oh, it's going to be different. You know, there's there's a prolonged period of time, usually for, for adjustments downwards, certainly when we're upwards. The other thing is the Fed had no place to go at 0%. So right. no matter what happened, True. we had to go increase the interest <laughs> rates yeah. to get to a place that if there was a problem in the world yeah. or our economy, the Fed has something to do. But at zero, they had nothing to give. That's great and point. that's yeah. a very great dangerous point. place to be. Yes. So actually, this is giving some stability back into the marketplace. Yes, it's a little painful, but but it's low interest rate still, still you know historically, right. and it gives us some cushion. So that, that, it's a benefit. Absolutely. Actually, that that if I think about the reflection after September 11th, and everybody thinking that the world was going to fall fall apart, the Feds had that opportunity to resurge our economy through those 11 drops that they had. Um, that's so true. But you can make you can make more of a difference in you know the the common charges and the carrying costs of an apartment that you, you know, one apartment over another, that's a greater difference than the change in relative interest rate. Um, but people don't look at that as much as sometimes they do in the, in the concern of, oh no, the interest rates are going up or the price is going to change. So I think ultimately just keeping people, like you said, we see the, the idea of tailoring the the, the uh, guidance for your client. Yeah. If they see something that they love now, but they're not sure because interest rates could continue to go up and the prices could drop and I wait later, well, they're going to be more upset if they pass on the thing that they love now than that prospect of leaving the 50 grand on the table and, for and 10 for years. And for my empty nesters, for example, I'm I'm saying, you know, sell right now. I've listed something right now in December 6th. Yes, correct. Instead of waiting because everyone's listing in January. And we're going to put a deal together. And also, I've told them not to buy. I said, be patient. Patient friend and purchase, you know, the right deal for yourself because they are downsizing. They're not upgrading for yeah, the next 10 it. years. Louise, Ooh, I have a question a about this listing because in. I have actually always followed that rule book that only a desperate seller, someone who really needs to get into a deal before the end of the year, lists in December. So it's a great time for my buyers to make an opportunity. But did you price it under market? What was the situation? Absolutely not. I priced it to the market. And I'll just tell you, I just had a listing that we intentionally priced it below the market. I got 19 offers. Oh, my God. It went $850,000 above that because we had a very purposeful target understanding of the market. And that goes for the bigger apartment. That's a 2,700 square foot apartment for less than four and a half million dollars. Wow. I have three people. Yeah. I have three people want, in a boutique pre-war condo that's a full-time doorman. So it's really understanding that's and knowing what your traffic is. But it's also, I think we, all of us would agree that it really comes down to forget the interest rate, forget the common charges. It's the total cost of ownership. If everything on your spreadsheet works and you love the place and you love the apartment, you can see yourself staying there five, seven, maybe eight years. It's a good deal. Right. I, and what's the cost of been, not moving forward on something? Um, you know, the, the psychological cost, the emotional cost of somebody's living where they hate and they, they know they want to own and they decide, well, I'm just going to wait until maybe the prices will drop further and uh, everything else. And, and that may or may not happen. Right. right. But I do think more than ever, and to Louise's specific client that she was just talking about, empty nesters, people are much more aware of taxes than they used to be. Like, I find that people are yes. much more aware of taxes than yes. interest rates. Mm -hmm. because much more aware this time next year as well because this is right. everything kicks in. Well, April is going to be a shock to a lot of people right. coming up, as we always say. Anyway, moving on. The downsizing of New York's real estate market has been much documented in the past year. As I said earlier, prices have fallen, concessions up. Listings to stay on the market for longer, and we're not even talking about you know affordable housing. But according to a new study by Knight Frank, a real estate consulting firm in England, I believe they are. There is one particular area where the things, the market seems to be hopping, and they're calling it the ultra prime market, and that's properties over twenty five million dollars. Okay, now we've all talked about this on the show. Everybody out there listening in the, in the around the world understands New York City has these kinds of apartments, hundred million dollar places. So twenty five million dollars and up seems to be bustling and busy yet again all of a sudden. I say yay to that because if I remember correctly, you know, the 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 first market to kind of go to sleep a year and a half, two years ago was that market. And so then everything slowly, you know, kind of fell in line. Now if that's the first one to come back, trickle down. Trickle down effects. So yeah. I'm I'm being yeah. that's right. I'm being optimistic that it's going to happen. What are your thoughts about that? Because I mean I think you can look at it so many different ways. I think price drops have a lot to do with it because some of these yeah. super inflate like the hundred million well, they plus apartments are exactly. so like okay fine I'm, I'll put it on for fifty eight and then it's yep. sells. There, there are no coincidences <laughs> that on fifty at one 
uh, West 57th Street that right. there are two foreclosures going on that were north yes. of $20 million. Right. But I also think that when you are looking at the opportunity to buy something iconic, you're going to see the absorption of that come first, where something that used to be $39 million, which is now $27 million, it's or it, you know that individual that can be patient and has been patient. We had that unsustainable growth that from our building in 2015, where that started to plateau. Now, it human nature takes 18 months for that cause and effect to be demonstrated. So now we're past it, and we are, by the way, 18 months ahead of the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. You also have much more development that is better product i'd like to say um we were just talking about how you know how do you stand out from the rest like you know new development first pre-war buildings good product stands the test of time 15 central park west right you know buildings like 70 vestry you now have the 11 which even though it's very you know it's a lot of glass just like 160 leroy it's interesting and it's interesting product and people will pay 25 million dollars for that yeah that'll be iconic like they're not going to pay that, that manhattan that, house that will be i agree yeah. well but I, I would tell you if you look at the the, the statistics this year at the end, I, I think we're going to end up probably with, instead of the 14,000 transactions typically in a year in, in Manhattan, we're probably going to end up at 11, 11 and change, 11, Ooh, eight, maybe. Yeah. Tw- and if you then look at the over $20 million, which you're talking about, I think it'll be fewer than 2017. Right. So one of the things you take a look at it when you see a resurgence, if you look at new developments, is when, do, when does a development open up? Right. And then all of a sudden, you've got years of pre-sales closing. So it it's looks like 432. As if, right. Yeah. You know, if you look at 432, if you take a look, the first contract signed was building, 2012. Though. Right. Yeah. We're looking wow. to 2019, right. and there's still first owners to be found. Yes. So it's a seven-year sellout and still going on. My point being that it's a still a very razor-thin market. It gets attention. We all read about it. It, it, you know, the, the closings, you know, I think we're going to find out in the first quarter of, of next year, the closings are going to be the, this quarter and the first quarter, it's going to look like prices went up because all of a sudden some of these buildings Lagged. closed all at once and then it, right. it's, it artificially affects the marketplace. It, it, so, it, it, but it, it does affect, the market. it does affect because there's still the psychological response to that when people see it and they're like, oh, this is great. Things are turning around. So <laughs> they have more confidence. Well, that's, that's right. the battle with the seller. The look, as, as we all know that sellers today want yesterday's price and buyers right. want tomorrow's price. And that's the battle and the finessing that we have to, we're challenged with. All right, we have to leave it there. We're live from Blastoff Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York. We will continue on the other side of the break. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. 
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast all the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, back for segment four. Ken Swig is with us, Luis Phillips Forbes, Anna Shagaloff, Matthew Cohen, Tracy Hammersley, John Harrison, Sean McPeak, and Niall Lundgren. All right, a week after you interviewed with a co-op board to buy an apartment, a salesman contacted your attorney and your financial planner identifying himself as your personal friend, get this, to solicit them to invest in a real estate deal, okay? A week after you interviewed with your new co-op board. It turns out the salesperson was one of the board members, okay, and certainly not a friend. Can a board member who has extensive access to your personal and financial history because that of your board packet, happened, Yes. That recently happened, Wow. Mm-hmm. Use a prospective owner's uh, made true up. story. No, 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 true story. Information for personal gain. So can this board member who also happens to be a salesperson for other things, can he now say, hey, by the way, I just interviewed a client, you know, uh, I mean, a person coming into the building, he sounds like he's got enough money to buy X or Y, whatever he's selling. Is this unethical and can this legally be done? Really? I don't think it's a legal issue. It was after he was accepted. Clearly, they accepted him because question. they got a lot of money, right? I got a deal for you. I think it's... Well, he was like, oh, so it was yes, the board member. It was the board member that contacted uh, someone else that knew the purchaser. The board member who interviewed was one of the interview committee people who yeah, interviewed the, the, the buyer. The uh, shareholder. Yeah. As, right, as, right, as a shareholder, contacted uh, his, this guy's attorney or reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Said, Got it, yeah. I would like to sell something to this guy. I'm a personal friend of his, and I think he can afford it, blah, blah. What do well, you Well, there's nothing legal about contacting anybody. Illegal, that's, that's, illegal, or is it unethical, or both? I think it's just I think it's just unprofessional. I think it's the social proximity reference that is Maybe you could be friends with the guy first. Yeah. Warm it up. Establish a well, relationship. Yeah. Well, the thing is, he <laughs> calls. He's moving into the co-op. He calls as a friend. Yeah, but is he a friend at that level? No. Yeah, exactly. He's a board member. Yeah. A fellow shareholder. You yeah, know, yeah that's a good point. I mean, clearly yeah. he wasn't. Otherwise, this wouldn't have come up in the news. Yeah. Or yeah. like, it wouldn't have been brought up. Correct. So, And this is why we have bad reputations. This is why salespeople have bad reputations. I just, whenever I'm mentoring a young agent, I always say, don't do like the cold sale. I like my bagel toasted. Like, like warm it up first. Don't, I don't know what's wrong with people who do these cold sales. Sorry. Just toasted bagel. Well, it doesn't build a relationship, so... No, it doesn't. I mean, and, and this business is all related to this building and having to deal with this board member. They're yeah, suggesting oh, turn down. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about your secret. Well, money. The, ju- the, 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 <laughs> the, the jury out there says the board member's behavior was certainly unethical. Okay. It was unethical, but probably not illegal because, according to a Manhattan real estate lawyer, since he did not suffer any financial loss based on this phone call or the fact that he didn't invest. Uh, you really can't get them on any ground, and you certainly can't sue the board members. So you have to make nice. You have to shake hands because you got to live in this building for X amount of years. And Lord knows you don't want to piss off a co-op uh, board member because your life could be hell going forward. But you're right? you're already you're you're putting your entire financial life on the line. Yes, and yeah. and you're As expecting you strip naked in front of the board. Exactly, constantly. and you're expecting you're expecting a level of respect to that, and then that it's completely violating. Completely as right. a salesperson, I think that you know, for me personally, I think everyone in here can agree. Like a pillar, and maybe the bedrock of your business is confidentiality. 100%. Absolutely, and absolutely. That's, that's a breach on their side because that is one hundred. That I mean, why not be shredded the minute right. they finish with the interview? And why not build gone. rapport with the person that purchased, and then if they and want to, well, that's, yeah. exactly. That's, I mean, that's, 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 like that's that would what Matt's much talking further. about. Toast yeah. up bagel, not for anything. But I kind of remember your board packaging. Well, I had this plan, you know, whatever. You can find a way to spin it, but don't just call out of the blue and do whatever. I feel like that's a quick. Burn. Anyway, unethical but not illegal. So moving on, money can't buy you happiness. So we'll end on a on a on a money note. Money can't buy you happiness, or can it? Or can it? A recent poll by Eventbrite found that more than seventy five percent of millennials would rather buy, and this is more than millennials, it's anybody would rather buy an experience. Get this, they'd rather buy an experience than a tangible something. Okay, for example, like a ticket to a popular music uh, festival, uh, than buy a car or an apartment or whatever. 
boys. <laughs> in fact, 32 million people attended at least one U.S. music festival every year. In 2017, Coachella, for example, which is very popular out west, uh, alone grossed a record $144 million. That, that <laughs> That's a lot. So what makes a concert or weekend getaway or a five-star restaurant worth the money? One study uh, from researchers at Cornell found that experiences are somewhat rewarding in part because you get more than just the one thing. You get the build-up, the anticipation, then the event, and then the memory after. And you got Instagram memories, the Instagram post. That was all that was exactly. the Instagram post. Do it for the gram. That was all, that was all priority for me when I was in my 20s. I mean, I, it was I all agree. about experience. And I mean, millennials love traveling. I mean, if I see one more dating app where they're like, interests are traveling. Like, take me on a trip. I love it. I will I, I will die. Um, I, don't, I don't see how that's the, a millennial thing, though. It's I mean, such a, I just oh, think that every... It's generational. It's generational. It's generational. parents or grandparents that you know, put your money away, put your money away, work every day, exactly. don't take time that's off. That's where I come from. But that's their hindsight. That's so their hindsight. You when you're right, a kid, right, you right. want to, I mean. But we, I think we're a generation or the millennials and generation. That, immediate they want immediate gratification. No, it's true, but you want, it's, not, it's not even immediate gratification. There is, there's, there's like, you may not be here forever, right? And, you know, and so if there's an opportunity to have memories, you know, that you, their memories are the value of life, right? Well, yeah. I, and they I don't always rack up the experiences and, and they don't like being tied down. Right. Like, I, that's why a lot of millennials rent. They'd rather always, rent than buy. I always assume that one day I'd be married and I'd have kids and I'd have to have a normal life. So at some point before that, normal I mean, life. somewhat, somewhat normal, I should say, uh, but, but at, at, at some point, there's a point in your life where I just needed to experience things. I went to tons of shows when I was younger. I mean, I had lots of experiences that are not it's also appropriate values. for the show. Like what values? <laughs> what like so? Somebody or forefathers were were saying, you know, it's more important to have the home and mm. to be able to do. Right. But mm. what's the, what's value? Eventually, you, you have to, to you to money, you. What's valuable to you? There's a there's a level of being there's a level of being fulfilled in what you've experienced in your life. Four times, and I met really good friends there, and I was in like one. You you just went you just went to this last one, didn't you? We went to Burning Man. You went to Burning Man. is amazing, by the way. I started going to concerts in That's elementary school like as a child in elementary school I'd go see Guns N' Roses and Kiss oh. and all this stuff my parents had no idea That's pretty rad. yeah but 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 I but I just remember like oh like this whole idea of going to concerts I saw Smashing Pumpkins when That's they first came out at a nice. day fest those are some of my favorite memories I don't remember the things that I saved and up the, for and, the, great point. And, we, and we can't take it with us so I see. it does beg the question and Matt you said the same thing I was talking with them one of the millennials on my team just yesterday that the millennials <laughs> Um, target segment for for when is really not buying as much. And so it's very interesting because she's looking for those for her referrals and she's not able to count on them. Like mm-hmm. my referrals have grown with me as they've gotten older, they rented, they bought um, oh, as, you know, the Gen X we, generation. We New York City millennials to, are different. Though. Right. We, uh, <laughs> millennials know that. Yeah. I think it's the focus on purpose and vision. We have to end it there, but I'll end with this. Oh, no, we have so much I, more to say. No, no I think. Wait, I, come I, on, Vince. No, hold on. I, I agree with what Ken said before. Last I think show. I think it's a generational thing. And I Agreed. Think yeah. You start out with the with the want for the memories <laughs> and the things and the whatever. And then all of a sudden, you buy all these things through your life and then you realize, okay, I've had enough. Now I want to go back to doing the memorable things, which is where I am right now. Anyway, we have to go. Happy New Year, everyone. Yeah, happy holidays. Yay. We are out of time. Thanks to Ken Swift. Happy holidays. And <laughs> happy holidays. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. for the moon, everyone. Even if Monica. you miss, you'll land among the stars. And the only person you should be better than, uh, try to be better than, is the person you were yesterday. Yesterday. I love be that. Be to one another. And for all of us at Voice America all around the world, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We will see you back here on January 8th. We're off for two weeks. Yes. Yay. We'll miss you. Happy holidays. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.